Alrighty, good morning church, good to see you all out here this morning and to our congregations uh, enjoying this online, it's wonderful to be um, with you. Ephesians 3 is where we will start, um, we'll be back in our verse by verse study of Hebrews starting next week and I'm looking forward to that um, very much, but over the past few weeks we've been walking through what we've called a 2030 vision narrative for the Austin Stone, it's language of uh, shared hopes and aspirations that we have for us as a community of six Austin Stone congregations uh, scattered around the city. And so um, if you're sitting here this morning and you feel like you're connected to this community of faith in, in some kind of way that's tangible, you're here frequently, this would be your local church, then this is what we think and hope and pray our future might look like over the next seven to 10 years. And we're calling you and encouraging you to engage with that and to give back towards it in meaningful ways so that you too can make the mark through the gift that God has given you through the the gift of your presence in this community which makes us richer by far because of what Christ has blessed you with in the way that you can serve and contribute and lead and use your skill set and your gifts we're asking you to do that and to apply that and to say, yes, Lord, I think it would be worth my time, my talent, my treasure over the next seven to 10 years or as long as you would have me here in some of your cases um, to be able to join in with this endeavor, with this dream. If you're just joining us for the first time uh, this morning, this will be new and I'd encourage you to jump on the app or the website and to catch up on what we have said over the last few weeks. Here's what we've said is the summary statement of our 2030 vision. When we kind of boil it down into a couple of sentences, here's what we are hoping God would do in and amongst and through us over these next years. We said that by 2030, by God's grace and power, we know where the power source is, it's not gonna be us. We pray that the following is true of us. You see the aspirational nature of that? We pray that this would be our reputation in seven to 10 years, right? By 2030, by God's grace and power, we pray the following is true of us. We are joyfully devoted disciples of Jesus. What a high call. (laughs) That we wouldn't be lukewarm, that we wouldn't be half in, that we would be devoted followers of Jesus and his way. And as a result, what would flow out of us, this truly distinct thing in our cultural moment, genuine joy. (laughs) That we wouldn't be the grumpy curmudgeons telling the rest of the world how to live, looking bitterly disappointed at them all the time, right? That we would be joyfully devoted to pursuit of our king, even and perhaps especially when that sets us at odds with what a pursuit of what cultural norms and truths would look like, right? Joyfully devoted disciples of Jesus doing what? offering lives back to God, glorifying God together, living in a big God, little me reality, doing that together as one church through firmly established congregations. There's six of us around the city um, representing thousands of people. Uh, You're bigger than the footprint of the room that you're just sitting in at the moment, which is a wonderful thing to consider, right? And what will these congregations do? They'll do what local churches have always been called to do, uh, who love one another, Bless Austin, so not every local church has been called to bless Austin specifically, but all have been called to bless their surrounding communities, right? Who send to the nations because the news of the gospel is so good that we want it to go to every person, every tribe, every tongue, right? And who pursue multi-generational kingdom impact. 
Off of that, we've said that there are four strategic areas of focus um, that we believe we need to apply our energies to over the next seven years, right? These are areas of focus that have forged the content that we've preached over the last few weeks. And here's the good news for some of you, bad news for others of you. They will shape ministry strategy and future vision series as we'll double click each one of these four areas of focus, right? And we'll spend some weeks on them in the preaching calendar over the next few years and say, okay, so what does it look like to be these? What are those four? We said, first, we're gonna need healthy congregations. Right, this, this church was planted in very much a startup mindset. Right, that's what church planting is. It's like a uh, entrepreneurial endeavor. Right, at some point though, you've got to put down some roots and get some health. Right, so that the thing can endure, so that the thing can last. And we want healthy congregations where there's vibrance, where there's love, where the, where people know one another, where they feel cared for, where they can exercise their gifts. Right, uh, what would those healthy congregations be full of? They'd be full of equipped ambassadors where it's not just paid staff representing the message of the kingdom to the world, but every single person with a gift sent out, feeling equipped, like they have the tools to go into their workplace and into their homes and out into the city and out towards the nations, if God calls them um, uh, to, to, towards that, equipped to be a representative of another kingdom, right? Last week we said, and in addition to that, we're gonna need to be welcoming witnesses. We're gonna need to learn to be better than you just host a church service and anticipate unbelievers will show up. They're gonna have to welcome people in and not just to a gathering, to a life. A life of what it looks like to be a joyfully devoted disciple of Jesus. Come join us in this life. We're gonna need to teach one another and uh, and, uh, exhort one another towards that kind of posture of hospitality and evangelism. And then today, the last one, multi-generational investors. Now, listen, this is a lot of content right up top, I promise. I'm gonna dive into some Bible soon and make it really practical at the end. But we get these four from the broader language of our full vision narrative that I wanna read for you again because it's so aspirational. It actually stirs my heart and my faith every time I read it, right? And so we wrote that summary paragraph and then we wrote a broader descriptor of all of those things. Listen to this and ask yourself as I read, Is this the kind of people I wanna be part of? And then what does it look like to be part of this sort of people? What would need to change in my current posture and connections towards a local church so that I could be more part of a people that looks like this? Here's what it says. Our church expresses a genuine zeal for God. Don't we want that? That overflows into people who abide in his word, are faithful in prayer, are passionate in worship, sacrificial in obedience, and radical in generosity. Kind of like the church is always supposed to be, right? As a unified body of elders, deacons, and partners, we are resilient in hope, cooperative in mission, and bonded in doctrine. Each of our congregations are healthy, significantly demonstrating our four loves. We are authentic, familial, and hospitable communities of discipleship, known for love and truth, where the skeptic is welcomed and the believer is challenged. We are welcoming witnesses for the gospel of the kingdom. We value consistent and intentional Christian friendships as well as the value of caring and loving shepherds. We believe that every person has a role to play. It's such great news. And is being awakened and deployed into their callings as equipped ambassadors, whether in the church, city, nation's home or marketplace. We entrust real ministry to many, 
by equipping ordinary people to participate in extraordinary works through recruiting, developing, deploying, and supporting leaders. We are impacting the city through sharing the gospel, extending mercy, and redeeming vocation. Our passion remains to see unreached peoples reached with the gospel through sustained church planting movements for the worship of God among all peoples. What a vision. And then, the, the, the elders, leaders of the church who kind of worked on this over a year felt a very strong sense to add this element, which is the basis of what we're going to say today. So this, this last kind of section of this vision statement is very significant for us. It says, we have endeavored to invest in all these things with future generations in mind. Who are we thinking of? Those who will come after us. The long-term work of God in Austin, in our hearts. We're not here in the city to consume for our moment. We're here in the city so that we can faithfully steward this moment and then hand good gospel momentum onto others who will have good footholds of gospel presence in the city so that they too can steward their moment in the future of our city. And a passion to steward faithfully all that God has entrusted to us for his kingdom causes, thinking multi-generationally. And once you start to think multi-generationally, there's a cost involved to it. You have to invest if you're gonna be good news for generations that come after you. Now listen, a lot of you, especially in the room that I'm preaching in today, are, are, are fairly young um, and, and maybe not even in your own life cycle starting to think multi-generationally of your own personal impact. And so this might feel um, a, a bit adjacent. It might feel a bit ajar to you, a bit incongruent, right, with where you, your passions currently lie. Why would we devote so much energy to future generations and to long-term work that many of us won't even get to see? Um, I was at lunch with a friend this last week and I always ask friends at the church, like, so how do you think the series is going, right? It's like a nervous question um, because if they're good friends, they'll tell me the truth um, and, uh, and that will hurt and, and if they aren't good friends, they won't tell me the truth and that will hurt. Um, so either way, um, it's a dangerous question, right? And so I asked a good friend, how did it going? He said, no, no, he was loving it, it was great. And then he said, I do have a question. I was like, yeah? He was like, is the Austin Stone experiencing like a near-death experience or a midlife crisis. I was like, no, I don't think so. Uh, why? He's like, is there a diagnosis we don't know about? Like, uh, is the church about to shut down, maybe? I was like, well, why do you ask that? He says, well, the people who typically start to talk in this way are people who have come face-to-face -face with, face -face with their mortality. People who talk about the next generation are normally people who have realized that their generation's time is limited, right? So he's like, so just tell me, like, is, is something happening? Um, are all the leaders dying at the same time? Or is this, uh, is this a midlife crisis? You guys could buy a convertible sports car um, if you like, um, or we could shift uh, some of these things. Friends, this is true, right? It was such a good question. I was like, no, not that I know of. Um, but it is how we think. I had a very silly and turned out to be mundane medical incident a few weeks ago. Um, it's called a thunderclap headache. Um, Google it afterwards and then pray for me, right? It feels like you're dying. Now, to be fair, in your mid-40s, there's a lot of things that make you feel like you're dying, right? <laughs> Standing up, uh, sitting down, lying down, walking to the kitchen, you know, all sorts of things. Just every day you wake up, it's like, Oh, that's new. Um, I'm definitely dying, right? But this one was pronounced. The thunderclap headache is a headache that they describe as a 10 out of 10 on the pain scale. In other words, there shouldn't be anything in life you experience that's more painful. 
I broke my femur playing rugby quite a few years ago. This was worse. And it came on in a moment, and you can't speak, you can't orient yourself, you're not sure which way is up, which way is down. All that you know is that you think that you're dying. You know what filled my mind in those moments? I was just desperately trying to get the attention of my wife, Sue, so that I could tell her that, hey, I've actually made plans to set her and the kids up for success, and here's where everything is, and here's how you get access to it, and you're going to be fine, right? And meet another guy, just not too handsome or tall, um, or athletic, just make him like a bit doughy, but kind, right? Like, uh, uh, let's, let's do that. Um, but in that moment, all I'm thinking about is the future flourishing of my family, Right? Because legit, no, nah, I know I'm a drama llama. I've thought I was dying from man flu before, uh, which to be fair is very serious. Um, but uh, I, I legit thought like, this is it, right? This is the aneurysm, this is the big moment and I'm gonna see Jesus, but I need to make sure that this legacy in my family is set up for success. I need to let them know that that's the way that I've been thinking, right? Um, so that's why the friend asked this question about the church. Here's the good news. We don't know of anything that's about to kill us as a community. Now, God is sovereign, so anything could be there. That cuts both ways. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're very humbled by that. But by so many metrics, we're deeply encouraged to see a real measure of health and vitality and maturity in our church. Praise God. Now, we don't take that for granted, right? We're taught to number our days rightly um, and to be humble. God can do anything in the future, and we're aware of that. But, friends, as we have reached adulthood as a church, this church is 21 years old. We can drink. Um, well... <laughs> Depends who you talk to. Uh, but legally, right, as an entity, uh, we can, right? We have started to move. We've started to move from a perpetual thinking of startup mode, right, into some kind of build a life that matters and lasts mode. Now, this isn't selling out. This isn't compromise. This is actually maturity, right? And as we've started to shift a little bit in that mode, we've developed a couple of convictions that really form and shape this desire that we'd be multi-generational investors. Now listen, generational can be a confusing word. Um, If you just want to simplify it, sociologists say that a generation is 30 years, right? That if you just go across timelines, that doesn't mean that your life expectancy is 30 years. That's how they measure generations, right? Sociologically and anthropologically, right? And so what we're saying is, hey, we're 21. We're getting towards the end of 30 years, one generation. We don't want this wonderful, mighty, miraculous work of God to be single generational. With whatever power that we have, which is limited, but some, with whatever agency that we have, we want to steward this moment so that we can hand this on and say that we want this to be a multi-generational, impactful church, okay? Where do we get that conviction? Well, firstly, we're persuaded from the scriptures, right? And we're persuaded from the scriptures of this important point, that the people of God are called to think about the work of God in generations to come. The people of God are called to think about the work of God in generations to come. Friends, we're part of a faith movement that is and has been passed from one generation to another by divine command, by divine instruction, and by divine protection, right? You think about what it's taken for the gospel to get to us. (laughs) 2,000 years since Christ ascended uh, to heaven. It's had to go through so much geographical movement. It's had to go through wicked empires, through manipulation, through distortion, through all sorts of things, through persecution, mass persecution, and yet somehow generations have been faithful to say, I'll tell the next, and I'll tell the next, and I'll tell the next. And we sit here today as recipients of this genuine 
miracle, right? And it's a genuine miracle. Uh, look at Ephesians 3.20 with me quickly. This text has been so formative at the stone right across our 20-year history, right? It, it was part of the, the vision of the planting of this church initially that God would do that, something that would blow all of our minds, right? But the language in it is quite significant. It says, now to him, it's this prayer of blessing over a church. Now to him who is able to do far more abundant name, you might go like, that is really clunky English. It is. Um, it's because the original language, Paul is getting so big on this, it's very hard to stack up in English. We go like, wait, there's a whole bunch of descriptors and adjectives in a row. That's not really how we write. But Paul's going, whatever you're thinking, it's bigger. Whatever you think God can do, he can do more, right? Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church. He can do it all. And so he receives all of the praise and in Christ Jesus, the king of all, right? Then what does it say? Throughout all generations forever and ever, amen, right? Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus was that they would experience the miraculous power of God that is at work in them. That's our prayer for us. A power that's able to do far more abundantly all than we ask or think, right? When I pray for our church, I'm very aware of this. Lord, I ask this, but I know you can do far more abundantly, right? You you can do so much more than what I can ask or think or even imagine. Whatever I can dream up in my wildest missional imagination, God's like, more. I can do more, right? I'm able to do more, not just a little more, far more abundantly more. To what end? that he would receive glory in the church and in the continually proclaimed works of Jesus Christ throughout all generations. When Paul dreams of the abundant work and immense power of God, listen, on display in a people, part of what he dreams about is that it would continue beyond the boundaries of the people who first experience it to the generations that will follow. And as I said, we're recipients of that today. It's amazing when you think about it. And Paul thinks this way all the time. In 2 Timothy 2, when he's thinking about stewarding the message of the gospel and handing it on to Timothy, he actually thinks of four degrees of separation, right? He thinks multi-generationally. Timothy, you're my child. I'm gonna pass this to you. Then you're gonna pass it on to some others and they're gonna pass it on to some others. He doesn't just lock himself fully in his moment. He thinks that this message of the gospel is so good that it mustn't be bound by space, Right? I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take it to everyone who could possibly receive it, and it shouldn't be bound by time. It shouldn't be restricted by the parameters of my life, by my geographical um, or life stage and age reach. It should go beyond me. This is what God's people have always been called to do. Look at Deuteronomy 4, right? The people of God, early in their formation, only take care, it says, and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children and your children's children. We're a forgetful bunch. Have you noticed that? God does something amazing, we're like, that's so amazing. And next time we find ourselves really needing God's work, we can't remember that he came through for us, right, before. That's why he says, no, don't, don't forget the things that your eyes have seen. Don't depart from, from the things that I've taught your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children and your children's children, right? One generation, two generations, three generations, four, keep going. Look at Psalm 78. 
We will not hide them, these works of God, these magnificent works of God from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Friends, this is why so much of redemptive history is recorded for us in scripture, right? Written down for us under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why the death accounts of all of the patriarchs, I'm gonna nerd out here for a second. I love studying the death accounts of all of the patriarchs. Uh, There's some symmetry in all of them, all very fallen men, right? But all of them in their final moments gather their families together and they share instructions to ensure that the message of God's covenantal faithfulness gets passed on. They're like, hey, I've blown it in some areas. Here's what I need you to do to make sure that this message keeps going. This is why the sojourning people of God build little piles of remembrance stones called Ebenezer's, right? Have you ever been in church sung about an Ebenezer? You've gone like, I've got no idea what that means. I think it's uh, attached to a Scrooge kind of character. Uh, this must be a Christmas song, but I'm gonna sing it full ball anyway, right? We just sing some stuff. We're like, I don't know what that means, but on we go, right? And Ebenezer was a stone of remembrance. It's part of like what Joshua taught the people when they crossed the Jordan, right? Build a pile of stones. Why? So that when the next generation comes back, they're like, God did something here. God did something here. He met with our people here and maybe he'll meet with us again, right? God did something here. He was faithful to his people. And so maybe he'll still be faithful to us. Okay, so listen, let's get really practical. That's a conviction. We believe that the people of God have a call to think about the work of God and the reputation of God and the name of God in generations to come. And as we look around at the city of Austin, (laughs) we have a conviction that this moment now is very important because this generation of the church exists at a distinct moment where there are unique obstacles and unique opportunities for the churches in Austin right now. As you think just about churches and what it might look like for them to flourish multi-generationally, they are unique obstacles. We're gonna cover some of them now. And they are unique opportunities, but they need to be embraced in the here and now, lest they slip away from our fingers. They're opportunities that exist by God's sovereign grace, but that won't be around forever. (laughs) And that need to be seized now. They are obstacles that seem large to us now, but maybe all but insurmountable for future generations of church planters and leaders and communities in the future of a city that continues to change at a rapid, rapid rate. And so friends, listen, I've been here five minutes, right? But I've seen this place change a whole bunch um, over the last few years. And so we believe we have to be faithful stewards of the obstacles and of the opportunities, why? so that future generations of the church in Austin won't be haunted or hindered or hampered by our inability or our unwillingness to seize these opportunities and overcome some of these obstacles. Let me give you some texture to this. Uh, Recently, I had a very strong,
strange but cool opportunity uh, to volunteer my insights uh, to uh, the McKinsey Consulting Group. You're like, you don't seem like a McKinsey guy. I'm not, all right? Um, I'm nowhere near smart enough, um, and I don't have the wardrobe for it. Um, but uh, this incredible group that's doing this amazing research, they, they said, we want to we wanna do some research on the growth of Austin. So I was like, cool. Um, and so I went and met with some of them at Summermoon, and we realized about five minutes in, this is a terrible mistake. Um, because they spoke about how they had interviewed over 100 thought leaders in the city, and then me. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, this is going to be um, a very strange end to the study because I'm sure these thought leaders have told you some valuable stuff and then you're going you're, you're gonna to be interviewing me. But we had a good conversation and we chatted um, for a while. And I spoke about our church's multi-generational perspective and how we wanted to steward the growth um, of what we're seeing around us. You know what McKinsey titled the report? And this is public record, by the way, to our friends at McKinsey. Thank you um, for making it available. You can look it up um, online. You know what they titled the report? They titled it Unique. Uniquely Austin, stewarding growth in America's boomtown. Um, if you've been around at our church for a couple of years, you'll recognize some language that, hey, maybe we even influenced some of the titling of this report with, which is very, very humbling to consider, right? It's really good. It's really helpful. It's way too detailed for us to deep dive into this morning. But I want to walk you through some highlights today, and I want you in your mind just to do this. If you can just dial in with me for the next few minutes, I want you in your mind to think church and think two things, obstacles and opportunities. I'm just gonna highlight some of the stuff that we've all felt, but now we have some data to support. And I want you to think, well, some of these are gonna be major obstacles. I don't know how we'll overcome those. And some of these, man, there's huge opportunities. That makes me excited to be part of a people of God who wanna grab momentum in that area, right? You ready? Great, let's nerd out for a sec. Since 2010, right? The GDP of the greater Austin metropolitan statistical area has nearly doubled. <laughs> 94% cumulative GDP. And by the way, I'm breaking every rule of PowerPoint ever um, because I'm basically a boomer, um, but also because I want to honor the study and so I've actually copied and pasted text because I don't want to make my own assumptions about data because I've got those wrong in the past, right? I'm excellent at what I call anecdata, um, where it's like, did someone just tell you that story? Yes, and so now it's data. No, that's not data, that's an anecdote. I'm like, anecdata, all right? Let's, uh, let's go with it. Population has grown by 37%, right? Now that's massive. It's the highest growth of any major metropolitan area in the country over that time frame. Assuming current migration rates continue, and that's a big assumption to be sure, Greater Austin's total population will nearly double to 4.4 million residents by 2050. It starts to be an actual big city, right? Not just a small town with a big attitude, um, which is kind of what it's been up until now. Um, sorry to burst the bubble, but I've been overseas, there's big cities. Um, next one. Greater Austin, this is amazing. <laughs> this blows my mind. Greater Austin is the headquarters or founding location of more than 20, what they call in the uh, VC world, unicorns. These are privately held startup companies with a value of more than a billion. With a B. <laughs> billion. Privately held companies, right? That's a unicorn. When a privately held company has a value of more than a billion, Austin's like, oh, I got 20 of those. That's really rare. Venture capital investments in the region have increased fivefold since 2016. Right? Third, what about the college scene? It's amazing. UT is home to more than 52,000 registered students 
It's football team, Hookham. It's the highest grossing in the country, generating 162 million in revenue. Right, don't ask about profit, it's not important. Um, but uh, revenue um, in the, in the tw- academic year 2021 and 2022. Uh, it, it boasts 88% six-year graduation rate, which I'm told is good, um, and spends more than 780 million uh, annually on research and development. As of 2019, a total of 172,000 students were enrolled in colleges within a 60-mile radius of downtown Austin. Austin Community College is 40,000, Texas State has 38, um, Southwestern 1,500, St. Edwards 3,500, Concordia 2,200, Houston Tillotson um, a little more than 1,000. Uh, collectively, these institutions have nurtured an innovation and talent pipeline contributing to the success of Austin's economy and entrepreneurial scene. You can feel it here, right? More than, this is amazing. I don't even know if this is an opportunity or an obstacle, but it is gonna change the way that we're welcoming witnesses, I'll tell you that much. More than 50% of Greater Austin's residents have a bachelor's degree or higher. And Greater Austin produces the second highest share of STEM graduates relative to all fields of study compared with its high growth peers trailing only Raleigh in North Carolina, right? And if you've been to Raleigh in North Carolina, you can't turn around without bumping into an Ivy League school, right? And so it's like, oh, there's one. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. Everyone's a professor. And so Austin's a bit of an outlier, um, you know, next to only that uh, very peculiar and very influential place. All right. Whew. Exciting. No? Okay. No, no nerds. Okay, um, this is the jock service where they're like, get back the football stuff. Uh, that was cool. <laughs> the average home price ugh, in the Austin MSA has rocketed 170% since 2010. Now you can tell in the room who owns property um, and who's trying to own property, right? That's almost double the national average. Other costs, so you're like, okay, so it's just homes. If I just don't buy a home, I'll be fine. No, other costs, including transportation, healthcare, food, and childcare have risen faster than housing prices. So housing prices went 170%. Other stuff, quicker than that. Quicker than that, right? This has resulted in a shift in the region's population center. It's turning into a commuter town, right, which in turn adds inflationary costs. Travis County has grown 27%. Williamson County has grown 51. Hayes County has grown 62. Opportunities, obstacles. Right, I'm nearly there. Austin has Texas' highest per capita rate of people experiencing homelessness and the highest proportion of unsheltered homeless. On a given night in 2022, Travis County alone had approximately the same number of people experiencing homelessness, homelessness which is about 3,200 people, as the entire Houston uh, metropolitan area, despite having less than a fifth of the population. Opportunities, obstacles. I didn't put this slide up now, but it might surprise you as well. I was reading this report again last night. You know that Austin is now considered a majority minority city? Now that's an accumulation of minorities, right? And so it's a, it's a, it's a strange stat that you've got you to dial through. Um, but the metropolitan area has a, a, a 49% white, non-Hispanic population, rapidly changing demographic in a city. Opportunities, opportunities, obstacles. In addition, friends, right, as I get close to, to landing this, there's been a shift in the church in Austin over the last three years. Uh, nearly every one of the city's largest and most influential churches has experienced or is in the middle of experiencing major leadership transitions. It's amazing, just in this season, right, post-COVID. Some large anchor churches, I'm not gonna name anybody, people have their reasons, they have their struggles, they have their own walk with the Lord, right? 
But some large anchor churches have started selling off property to developers in essential growth corridors of the city, where those sales are hugely profitable for those churches in the short term, but end up all but ensuring that there won't be dedicated church buildings in those corridors in the future. This is worth weeping over, right? Part of the vision to seek multi-generational impact for us is that God doesn't even have to do it through us. We just wanna make sure that there remain faithful churches in the city. Friends, hold us accountable. If we ever get to a place of decline where we're just dwindling away and we could keep the doors open by selling off some properties or some parking spaces in some of our facilities, but if it seems obvious that there's another church community that God has his hand on, then our vision must be and must be at that time, please, uh, to give our property away (laughs) so that their generation of church can grow and multiply and have impact at a level that they wouldn't have without us. That must be. How we view it. A church called Canyon Creek did this for us. They're now our Northwest congregation. They came to us and they're like, we've still got faithful saints around here. We could keep this sucker going, but we're gonna give you this building. (laughs) And, And you can inherit our people. We trust your leadership. We want this thing to go multi generationally, right? And we're worried we might be coming towards the end of a generation. Have this. My goodness, that's the posture of multi generational investors great sacrifice to themselves. So what we see as a result then in the city at the moment is that most church growth, sorry, I know this is nerdy, all right? But this stuff really does feel who we wanna be. Most church growth, most church expansion, most church multiplication, church planting that we see around us is focused on Austin's geographical growth, right? And so it's going out into far outlying areas and and counties and that's essential. But what it means is it's uprooting faithful gospel presence at the core of central Austin. (laughs) When I look at how our city is growing, I get quite excited to know that even some of our remote feeling congregations will actually exist in Austin's core if it continues to grow the the way that it grows. And we must hang in there. The city needs churches. And we love, we would love it if the Lord in his wisdom and grace would allow our congregations to be around and fruitful for generations to come, right? Last year, uh, I went to the greatest city on the planet, um, London, um, to visit my brother. It's, uh, yeah, if you're tired of London, tired of life, they say, right? And it's just an amazing place to go visit. And while I was there, I took the closest thing to a pilgrimage uh, to a saint shrine that a Protestant Baptist boy like me can take, right? I went to Elephant and Castle in South London. Um, They're like, is that a pub? It is, Um, but uh, there's also something else there that wasn't my pilgrimage, right? You know what's there, Elephant and Castle? Anyone familiar with London? As you come up out of the subway at Elephant and Castle, um, the first major building you see is the London Metropolitan Tabernacle, uh, the church where Spurgeon preached and ministered. It's still there. You know what? It's still a church. It has survived the death of the greatest church leader of the last 200 years. It survived two world wars, the economic hardships of the years in between those wars. It survived leadership transitions, massive societal changes, and the unending growth and change of one of the most influential and expensive cities on the planet, and it's still there. If you were to try plant a church in Elephant and Castle now, you would need to win the lotto twice, right? eye-wateringly expensive to start that endeavor now, but it's still there. As I toured the rest of London, I noticed a trend. 
In London, you're not allowed to knock stuff down. They're historic buildings, right? And so there's a lot of church buildings around. Do you know what I noticed? They aren't churches anymore. They aren't places where people of faith gather. They're coffee shops, some of them really, really good ones. They're designer apartments that I really, really wanted to live in, right? They're nightclubs, which look cool. They're music venues. One of them was even a sex shop, which was very strange. Um, to just see the facade outside, I was like, this, is, this feels demonic and weird, right? But faithful saints were gathered in those spaces at one point. No longer. What's their legacy? Okay, so what? Well, very briefly in closing today, I wanted to tell you about some of the things that we're inviting you into as we try to build out something that lasts for future generations. I wanna give you some opportunity to put your hands on this in the way. What are some of the things that we need to invest in now in order for us to be a generation that is faithful to this moment of opportunity and obstacle, right? I'm not gonna go in detail because I don't have time and we're gonna spend four weeks on this just post Easter in 2024, right? If you plan your calendar of church attendance that far ahead, um, God bless you, right? Um, but that's when we'll be doing. Uh, where do we need to invest multi-generation? Three things and I'm done. Firstly, we need to invest in future ready leaders. We're gonna need to train future leaders to handle an environment that is way more complex than anything we have had to handle. There's a set of assumptions that we have baked into the culture in my generation that don't exist as a set of assumptions in, in the generation moving into Austin. We're gonna need to train people, right? There's a few elements to this. How can you put your hands on this? Multi-generational leaders, right? What we're calling all the time for volunteers and kids and students and college ministry. This isn't just an opportunity just to, just to do some mundane things that no one else will do. This is an opportunity to shape the future spoke to you a couple of weeks ago of, uh, of recognizing your sphere of influence and getting around some thought leaders in that sphere of influence as an equipped ambassador, right? Uh, we, we want you to do that. Some of you, friends, you get to lead and build complex teams in your complex spaces. Your, your knowledge is invaluable to the next generation of young professionals coming through. Get in their spaces, share with them, learn from them. When you see um, opportunities for learning coming up through Austin Stone Institute or through a residency at the church or, or through doing the Austin Stone Development Program, these are opportunities to equip you as a future ready leader. We're saying to you, we wanna hand the baton to you. We want you to be able to lead the future of this church. Take these opportunities, right? Next, next thing, we have to invest in mission ready spaces, right? God has been so kind in giving us such amazing footprints all over the city. We wanna maximize those spaces. We wanna see them growing into fully utilized outposts of the kingdom of God. But they don't come cheap. <laughs> and listen, we don't wanna pass a burden of debt onto those who are coming after us. Can you imagine? Your parents say to you, I'm giving you, I'm going now, and I'm giving you the keys to the house. You're like, thanks! By the way, um, we owe 16 million um, on the property and so that bond is now yours, right? You're like, that's not a good gift. Well, that's not what we wanna give to the next generation, right? Oh, look at these cool properties, not paid for, good luck. Um, uh, we, we wanna be able to hand something onto them, right? Uh, South moved into their new building today. Today, praise the Lord. And now we're gonna have to pay for it, right? Like, we don't want the next generation to have to pay for that. Uh, friends, we, we, we need space at all of our congregations. West, St. John, 
full, right? North, they've just put some new space and that's filling rapidly. They've got so many children they don't even know what to do with them, right? You walk around North, there's just children just everywhere. You're like, are you even part of this church or is this some kind of weird nursery? I don't know, what is this? This is children, right? And we need to be able to put them somewhere. Northwest, growing beautifully. Downtown, faithful, unbelievable nomads and crushing it, right? Uh, but, but we hope to be able to have a foothold in the city, even for downtown. That, that's going to that's gonna cost some money. Please consider how you could be financially investing in future infrastructure and opportunity readiness for our church through your sacrificial giving. Right? This isn't like, oh, you must tithe because that's what it says in the Bible. This is like, no, no, we would love for you to invest in the future of our gospel legacy um, uh, here in the city. Thirdly, investing in blessing-ready resources. We create so much cool stuff. We'd love to see it codified and captured in a way that will serve future generations, right? The songs we sing, brilliant, right? Sermons we preach, well, if it's Harlem, brilliant, right? (laughs) Books um, that that, that we could be writing, online resources, Bible studies, position papers, all opportunities to bless this generation and those to come. You know what I do every Saturday night? I sit down in the leather chair in my study and I take out one of the volumes of the entire collection of Charles Spurgeon's writings. You know, they wrote down every word of the sermons that he preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. They took the time to invest in that. They said, this might be helpful in the future. And you know what? It really, really is. We should write down everything Holem and Tyler says, right? Uh, Mainly Holem. Um, We should write it all down, right? Uh, Tyler, every third or fourth line is gold, gold. Um, Just absolute gold. Friends, if you're creatively inclined, get connected into our creative groups. If you want to write, join the next writer development class. Uh, Sign up next time ASDP comes along. Go to ASI seminars. If you want to influence the future of our city, right? Uh, We want to have blessing-ready resources. We want to be generous to the city. We want to bless through mercy and justice. That's why you should sign up and join our endeavors with For the City and For the Nations. Let me close this. When Halem read my notes, he said that it made him think of Romans 12.4. And he was right. It says, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If it's prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness, right? Paul says, hey, you all get to play a part. God has given everyone in the church a function. Everyone can serve. But he's also especially gifted some in certain areas to serve in a supernatural capacity. And so if God has given you that kind of grace in one of those areas, what do you need to do? You need to just act it out. Paul says, if you're supernaturally given to service, everyone must serve. But some of you are supernaturally given to serving. Uh, then, uh, Then what must you do? Serve. That's like, not hard, right? I think I should do this. You should do this, right? If it's contributing... Everyone must contribute, but some have been given a supernatural grace and capacity to do this. Uh, If he's entrusted this to you with his grace, you know what you're called to do? He says contribute in generosity. Friends, there's a lot of you who may be contributing out of legalism, but are you doing so in generosity? Is it a costly sacrifice? Is it with future generations in mind? In light of all that God has entrusted to you by his grace, are you being generous with what he has given you? 
Friends, in very real ways, I mean this. There are things that this church won't be able to do apart from each one of you doing the function that God has entrusted to you. (laughs) We are one body and individually members of one another. Each of us has this God-given function and role. We need you to do it. Ask the Spirit what it is and let's get going with future generations in mind. There are such huge obstacles. There are such great opportunities for us in this generation right now. But now to him who is able, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Friends, God is able. Let's do all we can in our moment of time and space to be faithful with what he's given us. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this vision, Father. We believe um, sent by you and taught to us by you. Um, I pray that we have humbly stewarded what you have been showing us. And now, Father, I pray that you would do the work of making us a church by your grace and in your wisdom that can have multi-generational impact in the city of Austin. Lord, I see so many obstacles in this crazy growing place, so many. You're able. (laughs) You're able. Make us faithful as we tackle them. Lord, there are so many opportunities that feel too good to be true. (laughs) And it feels like more opportunities than we have attention. But you're able. You're able to raise up people with gifts and call who are able to help us to take ground in a variety of areas in this unicorn of a place that we call home. Lord, we love the city of Worcester if we don't teach us to. But you have us here right now for a purpose and that purpose isn't just for this generation. It's for future flourishing. Lift our eyes, help us to see a further horizon and help us to live sacrificially towards it. In Jesus' name.